Hello, it's Alyssa Milano, and I can't wait for you to read my new book, Sorry Not Sorry. It's a collection of essays where I share my unapologetic thoughts on life, culture, activism, and motherhood. You'll learn some things about me that I know you've never heard before and share in my story as an activist. This book is such a big part of my heart, and so are you, and thank you for that. Sorry Not Sorry is available now everywhere books are sold. Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry. You know when you get your Starbucks in the morning? You're going to want to hear this. One of the interesting side effects of the post-COVID economy has been a surge in the power and influence employees hold. Wages in service industry jobs have risen dramatically as employers struggle to find workers. However, there have also been increasing stories of worker exploitation, leading to a surge in new unionization efforts. To discuss all of it, we've invited Michelle Eisen onto the show. Michelle is a Starbucks barista and organizing member of Starbucks Workers United. Starbucks employees in Seattle, just the very latest to vote in favor of union representation. Meanwhile, in New York, Staten Island, Amazon employees are bracing for another union vote. Over the past 18 months, Starbucks has waged the most aggressive an illegal union-busting campaign in the modern history of our country. Starbucks former chief executive Howard Schultz was in the hot seat today in front of a Senate committee where he defended himself and the coffee chain giant against allegations of union-busting. The more of us who stand together, the more we send a message to Starbucks and also each other, and even people who don't work at Starbucks, that there are folks who aren't going to tolerate being abused by their employer. There are people who aren't going to tolerate unfair working conditions. Hi, my name is Michelle Eisen, and I'm leading the fight to unionize Starbucks. Sorry, not sorry. Michelle, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. My name is Michelle Eisen. I am a 12-year Starbucks worker located here in Buffalo, New York, and I'm helping to lead the unionization effort here in the U.S. I love it. And Starbucks calls its workers partners. Have you always felt like a partner in your work? I'd say that most of us at the hourly level have rarely felt like partners within the company. Tell me about that. Tell me about the workload. I think part of the reason that the company uses this term is it's a very manipulative term to try to make us feel like we are all equal members of this company. And the reality is that the bulk or the share of the very difficult hard work falls onto the shoulders of the hourly workers who have no voice whatsoever and in the actual day-to-day tasks that we have to perform within these cafes. Any kind of customer relations sort of job or customer service job comes with a whole slew of, I guess, what would be considered challenges. I think that's a very nice way of putting it. 
But we are the ones who have to enforce certain policies and procedures. We bring in the profits for the company. If every Starbucks worker walked out of these cafes right now, the company would essentially cease to exist. And I think that warrants a certain level of respect that we just have never seen within this company. Yeah, I think it's what we're seeing in so many of these huge corporations where their success is on the backs of those that work there. A few words that I want to dissect here. You said tasks, that as workers at Starbucks, there are certain tasks you have to do. Just so my listeners understand the importance of why you're fighting for unionization, can you just explain those tasks? Sure. I mean, the day-to-day job of baristas to come in, open the store, you know, everything that needs to go into getting a cafe ready to run for that day. And then the store opens and it's an onslaught of customers. And Starbucks is Starbucks. It's a global brand. People recognize it all over the world and people like it for its consistency, its brand recognition. But there's a lot that goes into making sure that those customers get served in the appropriate way. And what Starbucks has consistently done in the last couple of years, and this also encompasses the period of time of the pandemic where Starbucks stayed open during the entirety of the pandemic, where we were customer facing and putting our lives at risk and our families' lives at risk to come in and serve our customers and our communities. What we saw was instead of them pulling back in a way that would try to protect us or keep us a little bit safer, they just kept adding more and more onto our workload, cutting back hours, cutting back labor, but then insisting that we produce above and beyond pre-pandemic levels, adding different channels. So on top of the front register person, now you've got a drive through you have to deal with, and then you've got mobile orders you have to deal with and Uber Eats. They're just like, no, do more, but we're going to cut back your labor. We're going to cut your hours. There's no control over an hourly worker's schedule at Starbucks. So I could have 30 hours one week, and then I could be scheduled for 15 hours the next week. Who's making that schedule? Depends on who you're talking to. The managers will say, I have no control over this. You know, it's dictated from corporate and corporate says sales are down. So we have to cut labor to make up for that. So you're essentially telling me I get to lose 50% of my annual income. Sales are down at Starbucks. It just sounds so ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. Sounds ridiculous. The other word you used was challenges. Tell me about the challenges. I think you are dealing with a lot of things. You're dealing with, in our instances, we were dealing with supply chain shortages. We were dealing with broken equipment that was taking forever to be fixed. We were dealing with things that we needed to try to enforce, let's say, mask mandates. Things where you're being paid $15 an hour to tell people you really can't come in without a mask on. It's the middle of the pandemic and we've got safety issues to worry about. There's no one sort of standing between me and this particular person. And I've got a corporation that's not backing me up. I've got a company that's saying our policy is not to enforce those mask mandates. It's a corporation which likes to present itself as a progressive leader. So that hypocrisy is mind-boggling. How was it able to get away with such regressive labor practices for so long? I think part of that is a 50-year reputation that they've really capitalized on. There was a point in this company when I started a dozen years ago where I did feel like they were the progressive company that they said that they were. I felt relatively valued and relatively taken care of. But then there was a very clear shift. And this is pre-pandemic. I mean, the pandemic sort of shined a light on everything that was really bad. But pre-pandemic, we started to see a much bigger focus on the shareholders and the overall profits. And how did you see that? The reason I came to the company to begin with was for healthcare, for benefits. I have a job in the arts, and that doesn't usually come with healthcare in this country. And so I needed something to supplement that. And 
I started to see those benefits packages be reduced as far as coverage, but the cost to me go up. So I broke my ankle back in 2018. And after having paid into insurance with this company for, at that point, eight years, I paid for that entire medical cost out of my pocket. The insurance I had with the company wasn't sufficient to cover something like a broken ankle. I applied for Medicaid. I have Medicaid now. And that's probably been the best coverage I've had since I've been working at Starbucks. You know, I'm so proud of the fact that 25 years before the Affordable Care Act, Starbucks provided health insurance to our partners. Whenever I do hear, you know, how progressive they are, I mean, I just kind of have to bite back some snarky comments. I heard partner after partner talk about how health care enhanced the lives of them and their families. Over the years, uh, Starbucks health care plans have gotten more expensive. The coverage has not gone up. And that's where I started to go, what am I doing here? This is the reason I came here. There had to be a turning point, right, where the values that they started Starbucks with crossed the line. So where do you think Starbucks started to just feel free to exploit workers in that fashion? For me, it was somewhere around 2015, 2016. And I don't know what that turning point was. I don't know whose choice that was or why they all of a sudden went, you know what? It's much more profitable for us to start focusing less on how much we take care of our employees and more about how our shareholders are feeling about the company and about profits. That really has only continued to decline since around that date. The pandemic, like I said, was the catalyst and the absolute for me, the point where I was leaving. I was going to leave the company after a decade of loyalty and what I felt was a good job. I felt like I was a really great employee, but I couldn't continue to work for a company where I felt so undervalued. And it was about Six weeks after I'd come to that conclusion that a coworker approached me about the idea of unionizing. And I was like, I can work from the inside to try to make this place somewhere that I want to work again. Sure, let's go for it. What do I have to lose? Because you've seen what it could be, right? Like, I think that's always so hard is when you're in the middle of something and you're like, I know how to fix this. And yet not having the power to do so is super hard. And that's just it. Nobody knows how to run these cafes better than those of us who have to run them every single day. Of course, because what do they know from sitting in their office, how it feels to be in the thick of it, how it feels to be making as many. Co how many coffees do you think you made a day or make a day? Oh, in a shift. Let me give you some numbers because Starbucks is big on the numbers, right? When I started with the company, if you reached, they measure things in half hour increments. So if you hit, let's say, a 50 transaction half hour, that was pretty substantial. At this point, the company's like, why aren't we hitting 125 transaction half hour? That's 125 transactions in a 30-minute span. How is that even possible? So sometimes it's not. It's just the pressure to produce above and beyond the day before is constant. And then also have the smile on your face. And then also have the like, hey, Brian, good to see you this morning. Do you want your usual? I mean, I think that's the other part of it is, yes. It has brand recognition and is recognized everywhere throughout the world for the consistency of it. But also, we like to go to our Starbucks, right? You're like our own 
Starbucks because you have that sort of recognition and it's like a community. That's exactly what it is. And that's what it should be. And that was the original vision of the company. It was called the third place. It was like you had your home, you had your work, and then you had your Starbucks. And that's where you could go and you could connect with people and your barista knew your name and your barista knew your drink. And I loved those elements of the company. I loved being able to serve customers in that way and create the connection, the customer connection is what Starbucks calls it. That was a real thing once upon a time. Now there's an expectation to have the customer connection, but produce six times as fast and as much as we were a decade ago. And, you know, these baristas are graded on what is called the customer connection. They're rated on their ability to connect with customers, but they're not actually given the tools that they need to be able to do that. Okay, so you decide to unionize. How did Starbucks react to that? Very negatively. They continue to act very negatively, which was actually kind of shocking to me because I thought they'd be a little surprised at first and maybe not completely on board. But I did think that eventually they would come around. Because I've watched it happen. I've watched the company make mistakes in the past, but I've also watched them recognize that a mistake was made and do everything that they could to right it. So when they initially reacted to us, I thought, okay, this is just shock. They're going to come around and they're going to realize that this is the right direction for these workers and for this company. And they could do what they've always done and lead by example. They could set the example in the service industry and say, hey, we're going to recognize our workers' right to organize, which is literally our right within this country to do so. And we're going to work with them and we're going to give them a contract and we're going to set the standard. So here I am 18 months later, I was at the very first store to win back in December of 2021. And now it's April of 2023. We just won our 301st store, I think yesterday or today in the country, but we still don't have a contract because the company is doing everything they can to prevent workers from actually getting to the bargaining table and negotiating a contract. So 300 Starbucks stores have unionized, and yet they don't have contracts? Not even close at this point. Has anything changed within those stores that have unionized? Interestingly enough, when Howard Schultz stepped back into power last spring to, quote-unquote, contain this issue, the issue being the workers wanting to unionize, he made a whole lot of benefit promises, increased benefits and improved benefits for the company and for the workers. But he said, I'm going to give these improved benefits to the workers who are not organizing and the workers who have organized or are in the process of organizing. You're not going to get these benefits. We have to demonstrate to our people they can trust us and we have to show up. Could you ever see doing that and embracing the union as part of it? No. Why not? The primary reason is We are in business to exceed the expectations of our customers. A hundred million people come into Starbucks. The customer experience will be significantly challenged and less than if a third party is integrated into our business. Because they're not acting in good faith. Because we we have a different view. So we saw a whole bunch of changes and improvements, but we didn't see them going to the unionized workers, which is a violation of labor law. There are a whole bunch of things happening. The company at this point is at the forefront of being the largest union-busting corporation in modern history. That is how many violations of U.S. labor law they have committed in the last 18 months. That's not the reputation you want. That's certainly not the reputation a progressive company like Starbucks wants. And the other thing is they've done a pretty good job at keeping that under wraps. 
I mean, literally, I feel like I've been hearing that stores have been unionizing, but had no idea that contracts were not close to being settled. No, definitely not. In fact, they're enlisting every sort of delay tactic they possibly can find to delay, to continue to delay that process. How can they delay it? So they can mess around with setting dates. They can cancel dates at last minute. The latest, which is really comical, is that, you know, it's 2023. We're just coming out of a global pandemic. And when we meet for these bargaining sessions, there's a group of workers who meet in person as the bargaining committee. But there are some workers who just physically can't be there in person for a multitude of reasons, accessibility issues, childcare issues, all sorts of things. And so those members of the bargaining committee would meet on a Zoom screen. So we'd have a table of people and then we'd have a Zoom screen of people. And they were consistently walking out of the room, the company, within five minutes because they were saying, we didn't agree to have anybody participate via Zoom. And they were using that as an excuse to not sit down and bargain this contract. Now, the labor board has investigated all of this. They've found merit to the fact that we have a right to have whoever we'd like on our bargaining committee. And yes, it's 2023. They can, they can join via Zoom. But this wasn't because the company really felt strongly about there being participants on Zoom. It was because they had no desire to negotiate a contract in good faith, and they were just looking for an excuse to walk out of the room. This isn't stopping us. We're continuing to fight. And at this point, 301 stores is almost 8,000 unionized Starbucks baristas. It's a big number in a very short period of time. And you mentioned Howard Schultz before, who was the CEO of Starbucks. And shortly after stepping down, he testified in the Senate about the Starbucks labor practices. Can you just give us a rundown of what he said in that testimony? I had the pleasure of being in the room for that. And he was asked a lot of questions by state senators regarding the whole process of unionizing Starbucks and what the company has engaged in and how this company has treated its workers, unionizing workers throughout this process, which includes over 200 illegal firings of Starbucks workers who were fired just because they wanted to organize their workplace. One of the things that really got me was that he was repeatedly asked, why is Starbucks breaking U.S. labor law in order to stop this? You're breaking the law. And he kept saying, these are only allegations. No one's been found guilty yet. But the reality is, there are no longer allegations. Just here in Buffalo on March 1st, a judge issued a decision on our very first unfair labor practice case, which encompassed over 200 violations of U.S. labor law that the company was found guilty of committing. These are not things that are being litigated. This is a decision has been handed down and you broke the law. And he kept saying, we didn't break the law. Starbucks didn't break the law. And we're, I was like, am I going crazy right now? I testified in that hearing. To be honest, one of the most striking parts of that hearing to me was his defense of being a billionaire, basically saying that he was a self-made billionaire and nobody gave him that money. And I wonder if as a Starbucks barista, you feel that Schultz's billions were self-made? There are no self-made billionaires. It's an impossibility. If you're a billionaire, you somehow came into that money, which, you know, good for you, or that money was earned on the backs of other people's labor. I'm not slamming you. You can choose to be a better billionaire who recognizes that it's the labor of your employees that produce this, and you can try to share that wealth a little bit more. And I think that's all that we're asking is recognition that these billions of dollars of profit didn't just materialize out of nowhere. I'd like to apply to be a Starbucks barista. You're hired. Great. This is a full-time job, right? What was that? I'm scheduled for less than 20 hours a week on average, so I'm losing out on health insurance and reimbursement for online college tuition. One second. 
we're unionizing. No, you have to bargain with Come them. Come on, man. Fine, but we can't raise wages or expand benefits to unionized workers without a bargaining agreement. You are breaking the law by not extending some benefits to unionized workers. Oh, fine. Lawyers. We want the 32-hour week guarantee for full-time employees and more reliable schedules. And a $20 an hour starting wage nationwide. And a 100% employer-covered healthcare plan for full and part-time workers. And credit card tipping at all stores? Wait, are you leaving? Yup, bye. Well, we're striking at about 100 stores in 40 cities to make a point to our new CEO. So, did you guys catch Succession last night? We did not. We don't have to talk. Okay. There are people who get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go into these cafes and work their butts off for eight hours, 40 hours a week and earn that money for the company. And we just want our fair share of that. We hear a lot about union busting efforts, right, at Starbucks and other large corporations. My producer used to be a manager at Barnes & Noble, where their management training materials specifically said that the company intended to be a non-union workplace and provided instructions to combat organizing efforts in stores. Especially when you're a company like Starbucks, if there's ever a company on this planet that can afford to do better by its workers, it's a company like Starbucks. But what other efforts do corporations make to avoid unions? I think a lot of it is, so Starbucks is employing a known union-busting law firm called Littler Mendelssohn. So some of it they try to fight on the side of the law. I think Littler Mendelssohn's website actually says that they specialize in union avoidance, I think is the term that they use. I think in the case of Starbucks, what you're seeing is their willingness to continue to break U.S. labor law because U.S. labor law is really weak and could use a significant overhaul. And the punishment for breaking US labor law is kind of minimal. And so they're willing to break the law because it's in their sort of view, it's going to accomplish the end game that they want, which is to eventually draw this out so long that workers get tired. Workers are like, I can't continue to fight this. I mean, it's exhausting. It's every day getting in and going in and feeling like you have to fight nonstop. And that's what their game is. They'd rather break the law, drag this out. They want to tire you out so that you'll give up. They do. And it's I'm speaking for myself, but I'm also speaking for thousands of workers on this campaign. And I can tell you that it's not working. We're only getting stronger and we're going to continue to get stronger because there is a lot of strength that comes from knowing that you're on the right side of a fight and on the right side of history. And it doesn't mean it's not difficult, but we're lifting each other up. And the communities around us are understanding what's going on and they're lifting us up. And we're seeing, like you just said, it's finally starting to break open what this company is putting its workers through. And the world's not happy about it to see that. You mentioned the labor laws and how they need to be stronger. And I'm wondering when Walmart closed stores because unionization efforts, what is that illegal? It is very much illegal. Yeah, very brief, quick overview of the beginning of a union campaign. Once a union campaign goes public and is announced, the company is not allowed to come in and make any changes. So that means changes for the worse or changes for the better. It basically says to have a fair union election, you have to maintain what they call laboratory conditions. 
So they can't come in and make promises of promotions or improvements to the store, and they can't come in and threaten to fire workers or threaten to take workers' benefits away if they vote for the union. They basically have to stand down. They have to let things play out naturally. This is the exact opposite of what most companies come in and do. I'm just confused as to why there have been so little in the way of consequences for these anti-unionization efforts. I think you're looking at a couple of things. I think what I mentioned before was to combat a 50-year reputation of being a really good company, you have to draw a lot of attention to the fact that the company isn't what they say they are. But there's also the issue of money and what money is able to do. Money is able to buy a lot of friends. And it's interesting that Starbucks and Howard Schultz and the people who seem to fall very left of the line in terms of their political affiliations and where they say they stand and who they say they care about, it's only until they feel threatened in some way. And this is not about money. It would have been more cost efficient for the company to sit down and negotiate a contract than it would be to continue to fight this. Starbucks this morning, down about 1.5%, another stock to watch. The labor market pain echoing throughout corporate America. Starbucks facing a walkout of more than 1,000 employees, baristas across the country, starting a three-day strike amid souring contract talks. One union employee saying, quote, we just want to show Starbucks that we're going to continue escalating until they respect our right to organize and actually come to the table to bargain in good faith. It's about power. We're fighting Howard Schultz's ego which I can laugh about right now, but it's the reality is no one likes being told that your life's work is not as good as you think it is. And it's not what it was, but we can work together to get it back there. We can get it back to the company that most of us were very proud to work for if he would just give us a chance to do that. I mean, it feels like we are in a window, right, where workers have much more power than they used to because of COVID. What do you think? workers need to do to take advantage of that window? I think you're seeing it. I think you're seeing workers start to recognize their worth in terms of what they bring to a company and the fact that these companies just wouldn't be able to function without the hourly worker or the low salaried worker. And I think what we saw during the pandemic was these companies bringing in record-breaking profits and you were seeing the employees not benefit from an ounce of that. Our CEO at the time we filed was Kevin Johnson, and he was a money guy. He was on these financial shows every other week bragging about these record-breaking profits. And I've got coworkers crying in the back room because they're not sure if working 40 hours a week for this billion-dollar company, if they're going to be able to pay rent and buy groceries. That's a huge disconnect. There's no reason for anything like that to happen, especially in this country. And so workers are seeing that. We were called essential for, you know, the early days of the pandemic, and we were treated like we were disposable. And then all of a sudden, you saw that sort of essential title fall off. And we were going, whoa, 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 we can't be essential one day and not be essential the next day. So put your money where your mouth is. Either you need me, either I'm essential to this business and I'm essential to this community or I'm not. And if I'm essential, then I need to be compensated fairly for that. And organizing is a right that workers have. It's a right that we have in this country. It's granted to us as a right. And so as you see businesses so completely afraid of that, that you have what you were just referencing at Barnes & Noble. You have actual training, middle management is given to try to stop something like that from happening. And it's mind-boggling when you think of it like that. I want you to just take a moment and speak to our listeners. I want you to tell them when they get up in the morning and before work, they go to their Starbucks. 
what do you want them to think about? I think I'd like you to think about what goes into getting that drink to you in the morning and what these workers have to go through. There are some workers here in Buffalo that take two buses to get to their cafe by five o'clock in the morning so that they can serve their customers and serve their community. That there are no bad jobs. There are no starter jobs. Anything that exploits your labor is worth being fairly compensated for. We all deserve fair wages and safe working conditions. And if your home store, if your store is one that's unionizing or thinking about unionizing, those workers are up against a lot. So whatever support you can give them, a couple extra dollars in the tip jar or just say, hey, we're standing with you, we support you, that can go a very long way. At the beginning of our campaign, we had customers changing their names on their mobile orders to like Union Yes or Solidarity. And just calling out something like that in the morning when there's three managers standing there staring at you. There's some power that comes from something like that. And I just want people to recognize that this is the right side of the fight. And we're not doing this because we think we deserve more than somebody else. We're doing this because we want our fair share. And finally, the question I ask all of my guests on the podcast is what gives you hope? That's a great question. I'm trying to lead with hope these days because it's been a really exhausting process. I think what has given me hope is that in spite of what the company has shown they're capable of, in spite of what they've put their workers through, every single day, more Starbucks baristas reach out and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. I think that what is happening here is correct. It's right. And I know what's going to be thrown at us. And I don't care. I still think this is worth signing on to and worth fighting for. And I don't know if I would have been brave enough to do that. If I hadn't been at the first store, if I had been at the 302nd store and I'd seen what this company had put workers through, would I have been strong enough and brave enough to say, I want to be a part of that fight? And the fact that every day there are still hundreds of Starbucks workers choosing to sign on to that, that gives me a lot of hope. Michelle, you give me hope. Thank you for all you do and for being a part of the podcast. Thanks so much. Unless we change the nature of the way our economy works, it is all too likely that our younger generation will have a lower standard of living than their parents. What this means in reality is that workers throughout our country are struggling to pay for housing, struggling to pay for health care and prescription drugs, struggling to put food on the table, struggling to pay off their student debts and to deal with other basic necessities of life. For decades, especially accelerating since the deregulation and trickle-down policies of the Reagan era, we've seen growing undervaluation and exploitation of workers by increasingly wealthy corporations. Working conditions worsened, as did access to benefits. How many people do you know now who can still count on a pension, for example? Right now, in this moment, we have the opportunity for a great reset. And we need it. Unions are such an important part of the path to that reset. And the protections unions offer workers, especially low-wage workers, cannot be overstated. 
I urge all of you to support unionized businesses and unionization efforts in others. And if companies like Walmart would rather shut down instead of allow unionizations, do not support those businesses. We can change the whole economy. We can, but we need to do it together. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our producer is Ben Jackson. Audio editing and engineering by Maciej Lewandowski. And music by Josh Cook, Alicia Eagle, and Milo Bugliari. Don't forget to rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry. Not sorry.